One morning, Vincent Orr thought to himself, maybe it's time to buy a house. So I woke up one day and just decided to see what they had available, you know, what was in my neighborhood for sale. So Vincent, who lives in Detroit, turned on his computer and went to a website that auctions off homes in the city. I typed in my zip code and a house came up. So I decided to grab my grandmother and we went and rode past that house. The street was nice, you know. The street might have been nice, but the house needed work. Oh, it was it was horrible. You know, the roof was caved in. The porch was almost demolished. It was all rubble. But under all the rubble, Vincent saw potential. The house had two stories, a brick front, and even a bit of charm. So I only walked around the outside and decided, yeah, this looks good. Because I like the architecture. It was an older house. It was built in 1928. I liked the features that I seen on the outside, the brickwork and all that. So I went home and I placed a bid. By 5 p.m., I was the owner of that house. I won that house for $2,100. Yep. Vincent, who's an auto worker, paid the $2,100 outright. And then he spent tens of thousands of dollars to fix up the house. He did it all out of his own pocket. No mortgage, no loan from a bank. It was tough. But this is one of the few ways that Black Detroiters can purchase a home in the city. Because years after racial discrimination and lending was made illegal, it's still hard to get a mortgage in the city of Detroit, especially for Black residents. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Friday, February 5th. Coming up on the show, how old barriers to homeownership are still shaping Detroit. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. Our colleague Ben Eisen has been reporting on Detroit's housing market. He spoke to Vincent about what it was like to buy a house. And Vincent told Ben that buying the home outright was something of a no-brainer. Vincent is in his early 30s, and he's really part of a generation of Detroit that grew up in the shadows of the financial crisis. My grandmother was in her house for over 30 years and uh, ended up losing it during the mortgage crisis due to those subprime mortgages that were prevalent in the Black community, especially in Detroit. That was my childhood home, you know. I grew up there, born and raised. My mother, born and raised, you know, so that was like uh, my castle. To lose that was devastating. I learned everything in there. So uh, that had an effect on me and turned me away from the actual mortgage process, too. Because the goal is ownership at the end of the day. 
you know, and the quicker that you own it without a mortgage, without owing anyone, the better. For a lot of people, home ownership has been a central part of the American dream. Owning a home helps families build wealth and pass on that wealth to future generations. But racial discrimination from decades ago has shaped who owns a home today. This goes back to redlining policies from the 1930s. Back then, the federal government had started insuring mortgages to make it easier for people to get them. But the government didn't want to insure mortgages in what it deemed risky areas. So different neighborhoods were color-coded based on where it was supposedly risky to give a mortgage and where it wasn't. The areas colored in red were deemed hazardous. And these were typically neighborhoods with large Black populations, large populations of people of color, and it effectively pushed them out of the mortgage system, making it impossible for them to get mortgages. It's no longer legal, of course, but the lines that were drawn are still very much lines that we see around the country in terms of where access to credit exists and where it doesn't. A 2019 study by the Urban Institute showed that the gap in homeownership between black and white families in the U.S. is actually higher now than it was when redlining was legal. And in the Detroit area, the rate of black homeownership is far lower than that of white homeownership, nearly 36 percentage points lower, according to the latest data. And ironically, part of the reason why it's so hard to buy a house in Detroit is that home prices are so low there. After the financial crisis, you had property values falling around the country, and in particular Detroit. And in the years since then, the values of the homes have really stayed low. This isn't the case everywhere in Detroit, but in a lot of places, homes cost $30,000, $40,000. That's the price for homes that are in decent shape. Homes that are practically unlivable, like the one Vincent bought, go for even less, as low as $1,000. And if you're someone who wants to buy a house, you face a problem. Banks don't want to give mortgages on cheap homes. I think banks, when they talk about this issue of mortgages, they think about it in terms of size. And many banks say that they simply can't make a small mortgage, whether that's less than $50,000 or $70,000, for a number of different reasons. One being that a mortgage lender is paid based on the size of the mortgage, but the costs of making a mortgage are fixed. So the smaller the mortgage, the less money you're making, while at the same time, the costs stay the same. So the economic proposition of it really is not that great. And so banks aren't really willing to make those types of mortgages. There are other reasons banks give too, like maybe a person's credit score was too low or their salary wasn't high enough. According to one analysis, less than a quarter of Detroit home sales in 2019 were financed by mortgages. The mortgages that were made went disproportionately to white borrowers. And if a bank won't give a mortgage on a home in a neighborhood, that sets off a whole cycle. Neighborhoods are ecosystems, and when you have properties that aren't mortgageable, often the entire neighborhood isn't mortgageable. You end up with this cycle in which the house values fall further and stay lower and become more run down, and that makes it harder to fix them up. That just puts the idea of mortgage credit further and further out of reach for a lot of neighborhoods. And when you talk to a lot of Detroit residents about this issue, it feels for many people 
that they really are being kind of pushed out or left out of the financial system. And that has left the people who have felt pushed out trying to find their way in, often by turning to other, more risky ways to own a home. That's after the break. This episode of The Journal is brought to you by KPMG. At KPMG, we make the difference. It's not just something we say, it's what we do. We work closely with clients to uncover insights that illuminate opportunity, develop bold solutions that innovate industries, and create better outcomes driven by data. Brighter insights, bolder solutions, better outcomes. It's how our people make the difference. KPMG, make the difference. This episode is brought to you by Walmart. Walmart is committed to helping associates live better. As one of the first companies to remove college degree requirements from the majority of their roles, Walmart is creating opportunities for associates to build careers based on their real-life experiences. In fact, the company is investing over $1 billion in career-driven training and development programs. Learn why it pays to work at Walmart at walmart.com skillsfirst. Most people in Detroit can't get a traditional mortgage, but there are plenty of people who need financing to buy a home. And sometimes those other financing options leave people in difficult situations. That's what happened to one woman Ben spoke to, Alicia Lurie. Alicia was in her early 50s when she decided she wanted to own a home. You know, I had been renting for years, and at this point, I felt like I had paid so much money to rent that me trying to buy a house would be, you know, better than spending all the money on rent. So Alicia started looking for properties to buy. When she found a three-bedroom brick house on the west side of Detroit, she didn't bother trying to get a traditional mortgage. Alicia is somebody who found herself in the netherworld of financing to get a home. She ended up getting a property from a company called Detroit Property Exchange, Detroit Property Exchange is a real estate company, and Alicia gave them $2,000 down on that $35,000 house. She also agreed to a nearly eight-year contract, which included a high interest rate of 10%. She got the keys and was ready to move in. What was it like the day that you moved in? Um, Oh, wow, I was excited. (laughs) We moved in. uh, It was at night, because you don't move in during the day. That's something you don't do. Because then people will see what you have moving into your house. You don't want people to see that. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) And um, I moved in at night, and we got everything in the house, and we changed locks. And it was just really exciting for me and my daughter. So it sounds like you remember that day as sort of like a joyous occasion. It was for me. Yes, it was. It was very nice for her for a period of time until she missed payments. I had gotten a little bit of financial trouble and I got a little behind. When she did miss these payments, she sort of came to learn that the contract she had entered into really was not the purchasing of a home. Alicia was living in the house. She was paying property taxes. She even had paperwork from the company that said, congratulations on your purchase. Quote, you are now the owner. But she did not, in fact, own her home. Instead, the company told Alicia she was renting the house with an option to buy it. 
Alicia wouldn't actually get the deed to the house until she made the final payment. I really felt like I was deceived. I felt like they really told me a lot of misinformation. They led me to believe that I was purchasing this property. What that did in the interim is it made her very susceptible to getting evicted, even if she just missed a couple payments. She really came to the brink of losing her home because of that. At this point, I'm 52 years old, and I wanted to purchase this home to, you know, give to my children. If at any event I had to leave this earth, um, I don't want to move. I would like to stay at this property because I searched for this property. I found this property. I like this property, and I, I don't want to leave this property at this point. And after months of negotiation, Alicia won't have to. She got a lawyer and was able to change her contract so it's harder for her to be evicted. Alicia really shows what can happen when you can't get access to sort of the traditional building blocks of homeownership. If you don't have a mortgage, you don't have the protections that come with a mortgage, you don't have the low rate that comes with a mortgage, you're sort of living in a way that doesn't quite give you the peace of mind that you would have otherwise. And that makes it harder to use homeownership to build wealth, to build a better life for your family, for your kids, because you could lose it at any time. Alicia's story is sort of the extreme of what can happen, but it's not that uncommon in Detroit. The company that she works with is fairly big in Detroit, and there are lots of different companies that enter into these arrangements that are sort of this middle ground between renting and buying. In a statement, Detroit Property Exchange said that it helps customers become homeowners in a city that traditional lenders avoid. How hard is it to get a block or a street out of this downward spiral that happens when you can't get a mortgage? It can happen. It does happen. But it takes a long time. The housing stock has to be rehabilitated. The home values have to start to rise again. And then, after all of that, you probably start to see credit come back in. And in Detroit, credit and mortgage lending is coming back. The city has been pretty successful in drawing people into some of the neighborhoods where a lot of money has flowed. So the midtown area, the downtown area have seen like a decent amount of development in them. You have fancy condo buildings and some of the stuff that you might expect in a vibrant city. And then you also have neighborhoods often right next to those neighborhoods that just aren't rebounding. So you end up with these sort of contrasts in terms of wealth and inequality in some ways that really point to the fact that you can fix these problems in some places, but they are really not fixed in a lot of others. And the areas where those problems are being fixed tend to be more white. We talked earlier about how redlining kept Black Detroiters from owning homes. But it seems like the system now effectively has the same outcome. I think in many ways that's right. In many ways you don't need the rules in place to have the same effect because the lines have already been drawn and the rules that were in place before can still be adhered to. I think when we talk about what the accumulated effects of racism and racist policies that have been around in our country for a very long time and maybe aren't around anymore, this is just a prime example of the ways in which racist policies can just have this lingering effect that carries on well after they've gone away. 
That's all for today, Friday, February 5th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Your hosts are Ryan Knutson and me, Kate Leinbaugh. The show is produced by Katherine Brewer, Gerard Cole, Pia Gudkari, Annie Minoff, Laura Morris, Afif Nasuli, Ricky Nevetsky, Enrique Perez, Sarah Platt, Willa Rubin, Annie Rose Strasser, and Rob Zipko. Our engineers are Griffin Tanner and Nathan Singapak. Our theme music is by So Wiley. Additional music this week from Katherine Anderson, Peter Leonard, Emma Munger, So Wiley, and Blue Dot Sessions. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasulka. Thanks for listening. See you Monday.